want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I want you to be seated because we're going to read through it slowly. This morning I want to talk to you about what is unequivocally in my life the greatest threat that you have living in this land. What we're going to talk about this morning has destroyed in, in my friendships thousands of people. A dear pastor friends have been destroyed by it. It is unequivocally the greatest threat that I have in my life. And I promise you, you have in yours, especially if you're so privileged as to live in America. You say, Brother Gibbs, what do you think the great threat is? It's prosperity. You say prosperity. I don't think prosperity is a problem. I think prosperity is wonderful. I just want more and more. We've built a whole economy on you agreeing that you should have more and more. And yet Charles Spurgeon said Christianity can survive anything but prosperity. He said, read your Bible. He said, whenever God's people got prosperity, they turn their back on God. He said, read your history book. He said, no nation has had prosperity that didn't turn its back on God. D.L. Moody, the man that reached America and Europe, he said, I don't care where I go, prosperity is our greatest enemy. And he said, prosperity is a wonderful thing. But he said, most Christians can't handle it. The prosperity takes over. And here's the sin that prosperity leads to. You lose your contentment. You're not content with what you have. God says contentment with such things as you have is a Bible command. Yeah, but God, I'm not content with what I have. I want more. I want a bigger ministry to serve and I want and all of a sudden, prosperity starts getting you discontented. The wisest man that ever lived under God's authorship wrote Ecclesiastes 5. And I want you to take some notes on these verses as we go through them. Listen carefully. Verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Hmm. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. You always want more. Well, if I just had that, then I'd be satisfied. Well, if I could just get my retirement funded, if I could just have nice cars. I don't want to be rich. Oh, no, no. If you live in America, you're rich. You understand, if you make $24,000 a year, including benefits, and that's not a staggeringly large salary in America, you are in the upper one half of 1% of all salaries paid on planet Earth. And if you make $40,000 a year, you're in the upper one quarter. That's one of the reasons people want to get to this land. But here's the problem, it's never enough. 
You say, oh, no, 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 Brother Gibbs, there, there's an amount I'll be satisfied with. No, you won't. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. A dear friend of mine, wonderful Christian guy, came to me one day and he said, I, I want to start a business, David. And he said, you think my idea will work? I said, well, it's a unique idea. He said, would you set it all up legal for me? I said, Bob, I'll be glad to. And we did. Well, boy, did his business ever take off. He's now had that business, I think, for 30 or 35 years. When I saw him not long ago, I said, how's it going? He said, oh, pretty good, pretty good. I said, Bob, what's your salary now? He said, two million a month. Take home. I said, what? I said, after taxes, you take home two million a month? He said, yeah. How many of you like to try to budget that one, right? I mean. <laughs> I said, Pop, my goodness, it's enough, huh? He said, no, it's not. He said, David, let me tell you what happened. Suddenly I couldn't have one big house, now I got five. I had to have a bigger jet, one that could jump oceans. He said, I'd have two yachts, one in Europe and the Mediterranean and one here in Florida. He said, it's never enough because there's always somebody with more. I said, Bob, you're not content, are you? He said, I'm not. I said, do you understand, Bob, contentment is a Bible command. The scripture commands, be content with such things as ye have. And you'll know nothing of joy or peace if you don't have contentment. Wow. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Look at this next thing it says. When goods increase, verse 11, they are increased that eat them. I want to tell you, I know this one for true. The more you have, somebody's going to try to take it away from you. Nobody wants to sue a small church. Everybody wants to sue a big church because they want to get at it. You want to get sued? Just get some money. Somebody will try to take it from you. I was watching a program in the Atlanta airport on CNN up on one of their monitors. And they had a choir of probably 30 people. And this Wolf Blitzer was interviewing them. And all the people in this choir had won at least $100 million in the lottery. And they wanted to interview these people to find out what change had $100 million made in their life. $100 million. And he said, well, the first thing I want to answer, what's the major change in your life? And in unison, they sparked off and said, we keep getting sued. Everybody tries to take, one guy said, my mother sued me. <laughs> you know what, you want all that wealth, you just don't want what goes with it. And by the way, don't be surprised, the God who made you and me said, when goods increase, they are increased that want to eat them and get them away. Look at the next thing he said. And what good is there to the owners thereof 
saving the beholding of them with their eyes. Uh, it amazes me when you get a privilege to go with some wealthy people. They all want to show you their stuff because that's all you can do with it. Uh, let, let me show you my coin collection, valued at X millions of dollars. Let, let me show you my, my house on the, on the ocean. Let me, because that's all they can do with it, is show it off. Henry Ford, at the end of his life, made two amazing statements the last year he was alive. They said, what have you learned? He said, the first thing I've learned is America's crazy. He said, how did we ever get the idea that someone could be wise who doesn't know the Bible? He said, that's foolishness. But then he said this, I've learned no matter how many millions I have, I can only wear one pair of shoes at a time, wear one pair of pants at a time, wear one shirt at a time, and all the rest of it, you just hang there and look at it. Have you ever noticed in these new houses? Mega closets. How did we get along before mega closets? I was looking at a, a lady and I talked about this and she came up and she said, I, I have a lot of shoes. It's a wonderful lady in a Baptist church. I said, oh, how about that? And she said, you're right, I can only wear one at a time. And her husband standing there and said, would you talk to her? She's got 650 pairs of shoes. I said, man, could you have some kind of a yard sale or what? <laughs> oh, no. It's never going to satisfy you. People are going to try to take it from you. And all you can do is look at it. Look at verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether you eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. We had a wonderful neighbor that worked for one of the airlines as a pilot. And he came to me and he said, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. He said, I, I think I'm going to lose my retirement. I've, I've been with this airline. There's millions of dollars. And I, I think I'm going to, and Dave, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I said, have you ever read Ecclesiastes 5? He said, what's that? I said, it's a book in the Bible. He said, I've never heard of it. I said, I want to tell you something. The Bible says the sleep of a laboring man who doesn't have much, whether he has little or much, is sweet. But the abundance of the rich will steal his sleep away. Boy, have I found that true in helping people. Now, every time I read this, I want to say, yeah, I know that's true, God, and I know you created us, you wired us, but, but I'm different than that. Trust me, give me a lot, I can handle it. God says, no, you can't. There is a sore evil, verse 13, which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Now I have that underlined in my Bible. God never gave you a lot to camp on it. He gave you a lot to give a lot. It's not yours. You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to you. Your stuff doesn't belong to you. 
And God says, you want to see a sore evil, just start stacking up. Look at the next verse, he says. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there's nothing in his hand. Boy, the people I knew who trusted, and it got wiped out. Look at what he says next. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing. Would you underline the word nothing in your Bible? He shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. Lester Roloff said it. I heard him preach it a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. He said, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. He said, because the day you die, you take nothing. All you have is what you sent on. All you have is what you gave to Those houses are all going to burn. You won't even find a nail. That diamond ring you prize so is going to melt because all it is is carbon need more heat. It's going to be gone. And the day you die, you can't take anything with you. It's God's plan. And so what I always ask these people, what have you banked in heaven? Or did a lack of contentment consume you here? Turn, if you would, please, to the book of 1 John. Chapter 2, verse 15. Now these are absolute commands addressed to God's people. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, I want you to catch this. God says, you can't love what's going on here and love me too. In the measure you love this world, you're extinguishing by design your love for God. Oh, man, I love God. He gives me so much, so much, so much. And God wants me to be rich. I just love him, love him. And all of a sudden, that's not there, and you're questioning God's goodness. And God says, I do not want you to love this world, and I don't want you to love the things that are in the world. Now, this is the whole theme this morning. The devil to trap you just has to get you to love some things. Because it's forbidden. God says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, what one man, one woman really loves another one could care less about. But the devil will be sure something gets dangled in front of you to get you loving it. And you say, well, I, I don't love them like the world loves them. Well, I hope not, because you're commanded not to love them at all. When's the last time you said, God, help me not to love anything I have? 
nothing. I love to tell the story of my buying an ink pen for my law partner. We'd been together 25 years, and I decided to buy him a really phenomenal ink pen. I'm in Washington, D.C., working in Congress on a case, and I went to the most prestigious pen store in America. I mean, this is the mecca of pens. Now, I like pens. I'm a pen guy. And I walked into this pen store, and I made a fool of myself. I walked in, and this salesman walked up to me and said, can we help you? I said, yes. I said, I'm here to buy a pen for my law partner, been with me 25 years, and I want to buy a better pen than I've ever owned, a better pen than he's ever owned. And then I made this stupid statement. I said, and today money is no object. <laughs> Brother Gibbs, why would you be that stupid? Things will make you stupid. They said, oh, well, we'll have a, an array of pens to show you that I'm sure will meet your satisfaction. They said, come with your pen presenter back to a pen viewing salon. I said, a what? <laughs> oh, they said, we want you to remember this experience forever. And little did I know I would. <laughs> we walk down these halls, we make a couple turns, and we finally turn in this one salon. It's blue velvet carpet, a blue velvet ceiling with twinkling lights, blue velvet walls, I sit down in this chair that is amazing. It's got vibrators in it everywhere. And I'm seated in front of a desk that has red velvet on it. And they said, would you like a cappuccino? I said, is it free? They said, of course. I said, yeah, I'll have two. They're free. <laughs> this pen presenter walked in and he said, I understand you want to buy a very good pen. I said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, well, we have one that's on sale today, half price. It's never been on sale before, but I think it would meet your expectations. I said, oh, well, good, half price. He said, can we adjust the chair for you anymore? I said, no, it's rolling up and down my back. It's vibrating me good. He said, I'll be back in just a minute. He came back in about five minutes and he's carrying a gold antique box. And he walks up in front of me and he said, this is the home the pen lives in. I said, pretty fancy home. Now, what he did next, I don't know how they did it, but he set it down in front of me, and when he lifted the lid, the lights in the ceiling went. <laughs> and I'm like, beam me up, Scotty. This is amazing. Good night. How did you choreography that? He said, now just let your eyes feast on it. 
He said, is it talking to you? I said, I like it. Hey, don't laugh at me. Man, you got things that talk to you. He said, now go ahead and lift it up. He said, it's all hand-tempered gold. Those are real rubies and diamonds embedded there. And he said, I want you to look at the point. And I took it and I said, wow, the point's called a nib. He said, that nib, one artisan made it and it took a week. This is truly a lifetime pen. I said, wow, I said, how much is this pen? They said, now it's half price today. And he said, I've worked here 35 years. It's never been on sale. I said, okay, but how much is it? He said, half price today. <laughs> and he said, it's only one day. And he said, there's a very limited number. I said, how much is it? He said, today, half price. $18,000. I said, $18,000? He said, yeah. He said, I thought you said he, your law partner was a very good friend. I put it down. I said, he's not that good a friend. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm nuts, but I'm not crazy. What are we talking about here? I said, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever sold one of these for 38,000? He said, yeah. I said, how many have you sold for 38,000? He said, just me alone, just a few more than 40. I said, and people come in here and plunk down 38 grand plus tax? He said, yeah. I said, how do you get them to do it? What he said next is why I told you this story. He said, Mr. Gibbs, it's real simple. All you have to do is get them to love it. And if they love it, they'll pay crazy. And he said, it don't matter whether it's a pair of golf clubs or a shotgun or dresses or jewels. Once you love it, Mr. Gibbs, they'll pay. Whoa. I bought my law partner a very nice pen, a better pen than I've ever had. Took it back to him, his name's Charlie Craze. I said, Charlie, this is for you. He said, oh, a pen, I like it. I said, yeah, it's an ink pen. I got special ink for it. I'll go get it and bring it to you. I went and grabbed it and came back with the special ink and I came around the corner and I almost fainted. He had the expensive brand new pen I just bought him and he's stirring his coffee with it. I said, Charlie, what are you doing? He said, David, it's only a pen. I said, yeah, but... He said, David, be careful. You're the one who preaches, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. When's the last time you asked God to extinguish your love for things? You'll never be content until you do.
Now I want you to turn to 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter six. There is a verse in First Timothy chapter six that my experience is more unsaved people know this verse than probably any other verse in the Bible. It's found with the love of money is the root of what? All evil. And it is. But look at verse 6 in chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, Brother Gibbs, for God's honor, I want all my dots right. I want all my, I mean, I, I, I want to be righteous. And God says, contentment's got to be there. Because in heaven, God knows whether you're genuinely content or not and what the things are. But he gives us instruction, starting at verse 17. And I want you to mark this instruction in your Bible. My wife and I read this regularly to keep reminding ourselves, everything we have is temporary. The day we die, it all stays here. Verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. Now underline the word charge. The word charge used here was, if we were to paraphrase more, it would be make a big deal of this. Be sure you're clear about this. Timothy, I'm your mentor in the faith, Paul. And I want you to charge Christians, charge them that are rich. And remember, if you're living in America, you understand half the world went to bed hungry last night and our problem is how to lose weight. 70% of the world, their dream is to own a bicycle. And we can't live without two cars in a family. They can't imagine that. I was helping some missionaries in India and we took a hundred bicycles to rural pastors who had never had a bicycle. I watched them fall down weeping, praising God for a bicycle. Not a fancy bicycle. And I thought, my goodness, we think nothing of it. I know a pastor that did the same thing in Africa. The pastor's there. No, they walk. We have so much. Charge them that are rich. That's you, that's me. Here's the charge, that they be not high-minded. Now, underline that. Highlight it with yellow, however you really want to make it stand out. Put a star next to it. Can I help you? You are not your stuff. The fact you got stuff does not mean you're something. I've watched churches fall into this trap. Look at what we have. We're something. 
You're high-minded. You are not your stuff. Now, I hope that you have the privilege to get some things that bring enjoyment to you. But if it's going to cause you to sin, why should God give you what's going to destroy you? That's why you got to say, by the grace of God, I am going to be content with what things I have. It's a Bible command. God, if you never give me anything, I'm content. That they be not high-minded. It amazes me how when people start getting fancy cars or bigger homes or name it all, and suddenly it's like it's them. No, it's not. It's just a you and a me sitting in a fancy car. Just a you and a me sitting in a bigger house. A man by the name of Carl Smith was on his way to the mission field. And his wife came down deadly ill, bedridden the rest of her life. They never got to go to Africa. But Carl Smith said, well, if we can't go, we'd like to make it possible for others to go. And he started a small electronics company in his garage, <laughs> a dirt floor garage in Cleveland, Ohio, no electricity. He ran a cord from the house back, and he started this electronics company saying, God, help me. I want to make money to send missions. And he did. He came down with the invention for the ability of our aircraft in the military to change frequencies 1,600 times a second and do it in unison. He invented the antennas that went into deep space, Mariner and all of that. He invented that. It's the only man I go, I, I worked in his building because when I was a radio announcer, the station was there. The government would send helicopters and they'd hover and one would come down and two of them would circle and he'd run out and get in and they'd whisk him off. And I asked him many times, I said, where, where, where'd you go? He said, well, if I tell you, they'll kill you. I said, well, I'm not that interested. <laughs> A number of his men came and said, do you know how much money he has? I said, no. I know this. He sure don't spend any on a suit. He looks like a Colombo, like he slept in it or something. Amen. He said, you understand, beyond his tithe and offerings, he pays the full mission support for 350 missionaries. Do you understand how rich he could be? what he could have. He came up, he would come up at night and talk with me. And it was always the same talk. He said, David, I'm, I'm worried that your legal education is going to wreck your mind, that you'll lose your fervor for God. Don't let it happen, son. And he would fast and pray for me. One night I said, How many missionaries do you support? I'm told 350. He said, no, no, that number's not right. 
I said, well, how many is it? He said, we pay the full support for just a few less than 500. And I'm asking God to give me enough money for another 100. I don't pay some of their support. I pay their full support. He said, everything I have here belongs to him. Amen. And he said, this is not me. He said, I'm just a tool God uses here to get this money to these missionaries. Do not be high-minded. The fact that you can go spend money for things that the worst of the world can't imagine. When I go to third world countries, it's amazing. They all want to know, we understand your ladies pay to have their toes cut. They have money to do that? They can't imagine that. Well, you say, is it wrong for me to go get a manicure or a pedicure? No, as long as you don't think that makes you something. Don't you be high-minded. You and I are not our stuff. Look at the next thing it says. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You're not your stuff, don't be high-minded, and whatever you do, don't put your trust in your stuff. Here's my question. If God took all your stuff away, will you still have joy? Will you still praise him? Will you stay fervent? Or has that stuff got a grip on you? Oh, no, 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 God. No, 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 don't, don't do that. I... God says, don't you put your trust in your stuff. I was with a pastor, and he got a brand new car. He'd never had a new car. It's an amazing car. Uh, it had every option on it. And we're riding in it, and I mean, the seats have vibrators and lots of neat things. And I said, boy, I'm so glad you got this car. He said, well, this car's starting to be a problem. I said, really, you having trouble with it? He said, yeah. I said, what's the problem? He said, I think I'm starting to love it. He said, I never had a car I loved. But he said, this one, I'm starting to love it. And he said, that's a sin, you know. I said, yeah, I'm aware of that. And I said, well, let me help you. If you can't handle it, give it to me. I think I can handle it. And we laughed. I came back two weeks later. We had to go to trial together. And he was in his old car. I said, where's your new car? He said, I gave it away. I said, you gave it away? I said, who'd you give it to? He said, a young missionary family was riding around trying to raise support. And they had a car that had holes in the bottom. They had plywood on the floor and the tires were bald, and it was smoking terrible. You know, you go up a hill to our church, and their car was just puffing and smoking. And I said, God, somebody should give them a new car. And he said, just like that, God said, that's just what I had in mind. Give them yours. <laughs> if God wants you to give it, will you give it? 
or has it got its hooks in you? I said, preacher, I'm hurting for you. It hurts me that, and then he said this and it changed my life. He said, it only hurts to give it away if you love it. And when you decide you don't love things, it loses its grip on you. Well, yeah, but I, you're not your stuff. Don't you be high-minded. And remember, all riches are uncertain. You're going to leave every bit of it behind anyway. And for a number of you, you'll lose stuff here. Look at verse 18 and we're done. That they do good, that they be rich in good works. How rich are you in good works? Now, good works are never by accident. Never by accident. And my wife, Glorianne, has helped me with this. She comes up with lists, and we work on them, of good works we can do. People who have needs, we can help. People we can go to. You'll never do that by accident. You say, well, if it crosses my path, yeah, you'll go right by. Are you rich in good works? It's going to dumbfound you in heaven who for eternity is rich. Did you do your banking up there? And how good did you do with good works? Doesn't take money. Oh, you can use money, but it takes a decision. And God says, I'm commanding you, make a big deal of this. Be rich in good works. When I interview people for our ministry, I always ask them, tell me about your good works. And most of them look at me like a calf looks at a new gate. What are you, what are you talking about? And they want to tell me, you know, we don't trust in works for salvation. I said, that's not what I'm talking about. You're saved. I want to know about your good works. You say, well, one day I'm going to do that. No, you won't. Because the farther along you get, the harder it is not to let the stuff have its grip. That preacher was right. It only hurts to give it if you love it, and to love it is a sin. All of it's uncertain. And God says, I want you to be rich in good works, and then underline next, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Ready to distribute means anxious to give. Anxious to give. When's the last time you went to church and said, I wish they'd hurry up and give the offering? I want to give. God, let me find somebody I can help and give something to. Well, Brother Gibbs, I don't have a lot. I'm struggling in college. Well, you know what I found out? If you don't give when you have a little, you'll never give when you have a lot. Because the stuff will really put its grips in. My wife, Glorianne, we've now been married 54 years. This Christmas will be our 54th Christmas together. And when we were married our first year, we got married in June, she was a school teacher and a Howard Johnson's waitress. 
Uh, she went to school, taught school in a public school, had to be at school at 8 o'clock, got out at 4, started at the restaurant as a waitress at 5, and got done at 10. And was never home but by about 11 because I had to clean up. I was a radio announcer and a semi-truck driver, and we didn't have two pennies. But she would come home with change because that's how they gave tips. Credit cards didn't exist yet, and people would leave money on the table, mostly change. When she'd come home, we'd empty it all out of her apron, and we'd count it up. When she wasn't looking, I took some of it. I squirreled it away because I wanted to buy her a Christmas present. And it wasn't a lot, but I had taken about $11, 11 or $12. It's two weeks ahead of Christmas, and I said, Honey, when you weren't looking, I took some of the money because I want to buy you a Christmas present. I love you so much, and I do to this day. And I said, I want to get you something for Christmas, and here's the money we're going to do it with. I said, what do you want? She said, I am so glad you asked. She said, I know exactly what I want, exactly. I said, fire away, what is it? We'll make it happen. She said, I want to find somebody with less than us and let them be our Christmas. I said, whoa, babe, whoa. This is for you. What she said next stopped me in my tracks. She said, honey, if you do this for me, it will be mine forever. It'll be mine for all eternity. Because we're giving it to the Lord. And if you give me something here, it'll just be mine a short time and I'd rather have it forever. This Christmas, every year our gifts to each other are others. Find people that have real needs. You against Christmas presents? No, we give a lot of them. I love Christmas. But God says, I want you to be ready to distribute. Are you ready to be not where your stuff makes you? I hope one day you're blessed with a lot of stuff and you're quick to give it. Carl Smith did not die a rich man. But boy, I promise you, I don't know anybody richer going to be in heaven than that man. Because he banked up there. And it's his forever. One of the last privileges I had when his wife was in her final days of dying, they asked to see me and I went to her bedside. And she said, it's been such a joy to give. We wanted to go. But when that just collapsed on us, then getting others there, it's been the delight of my life. When you give, is it the delight of your life? When's the last time you said, God, I want to be rich in good works, ready to distribute? I have watched our prosperity destroy God's people. 
All of a sudden, what we want is more cars, bigger houses, more elaborate vacations. Now, when I got married, we got married on a Saturday afternoon in Cleveland, Ohio. Our honeymoon was we drove to Detroit, 150 miles away, and stayed overnight at a Holiday Inn. Sunday morning, we got up, went to the big Baptist church in downtown Detroit. They were real kind. They, you know, introduced us as guests. And they said, what are you doing here? We said, we're on our honeymoon. So they said, oh, we'll take you out to eat. That was great. Once we're done eating with them, we went over to the Henry Ford Museum and just walked around it for a minute. We went back to church Sunday night. After church, we drove home back to Cleveland. And I went to work Monday morning. People say, well, you didn't get a honeymoon. I got a wonderful one. A wonderful one. What do you mean? We had decided that if people gave us money, we wanted to give it to two missionaries. No, we didn't go to Aruba or Hawaii or you name where. but I wouldn't trade that honeymoon for anything. And people come to me and say, you should take your wife on a real honeymoon. I said, I did. Yeah, it was only three days, but it's lasted 54 years. It still brings a smile to my face. Here's my question, young people. If the Lord tarries five years from today, 10 years from today, What's going to bring a godly smile to your face? Because of what you did with prosperity. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. You're not your stuff. Be careful. All riches are uncertain but put your trust in the living God, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. How's your good works account? Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. I promise you, the devil knows these verses, and we happen to live in this land of unparalleled luxury. Never in the history of man have people lived like we live in this land. Prior kings could not dream the things we take for granted. And is it going to take you and get its grips on you? God says, be careful. Once you start down that track, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. It will never be enough. But by the gift of God, you can get rich, truly rich, with a richness that will be yours forever. Now the choice is yours.